it is good to be with you. I don't often get to be with uh, this particular group of people. Many of you I see in different venues, but it's wonderful to be with you at this service. One thing Katie didn't mention was that our all-church picnic on the 17th is also being called the Nate-Nick. So you can call it the Nate-Nick and we'll know what you're talking about and remember that it is a time to honor our beloved Nate. Boy, we're going to miss him. Uh, You know, we hear this phrase everywhere, follow your heart, listen to your heart, follow your passions. Uh, I was with the 7th and 8th graders last Sunday and I just asked them, okay, uh, how many of you have heard the phrase, follow your heart? Everybody raised their hand. So I'll ask you the same question. How many of you have heard the phrase, follow your heart? Listen to your heart. Yeah, we've all heard it. It is everywhere. It's almost like that's the key, isn't it, to everything in our lives, our calling, our relationships, how we use our free time, what we can contribute to the world. Just follow your heart. Now, you know, in the best interpretation of that phrase, it's really good. It means be true to yourself. Don't get caught up in the passions and the fads of the world. Don't follow the crowd, but be true. But listening to or following our hearts can also be the most dangerous piece of advice that we can ever, ever get. Let us pray. We ask you, O Lord, in this time that we have taken out of our frenzied lives that you would calm our souls and silence all voices but your own so that the only voice we hear is your voice And then by the power of your Holy Spirit, empower us to want to listen to you and then to obey your word. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's think a little bit about the consequences, often unintended consequences, of following our hearts. There's this, um, there once was a, a couple, they were actually very, very prosperous. They didn't want for anything. They were living on prime, prime real estate. But this was also a couple that wanted to pay attention to God, and in fact, loved God so much that they wanted to be like God. That's a, that's a worthy calling, something that we all should aspire to. And they had a passion and a strategy for how to go about it. They even, they even listened to a spiritual director. And so they followed their heart. Couple follows their heart, billions dead. This satirical image from the Babylon Bee demonstrates, somebody just, okay, it demonstrates what can happen when we follow our hearts. It doesn't just affect us, it affects those around us. And in this case, every single person on the planet is suffering the effects of our first parents following their hearts. The story of the fall that we find in Genesis 3 tells us that Adam and Eve wanted to be like God, and like we said before, that was a noble goal, but they ignored the voice of God and listened to the voice of the serpent, and the rest, they say, is history. So, it is important, isn't it, to hear things rightly, to listen to voices that will tell us the truth about God and ourselves 
And it is important not just for our own personal flourishing, but for the flourishing of the world. Our gospel story today continues with Jesus' ministry as recorded in Luke chapter 7. We've already seen how Jesus speaks into people's lives. In the three stories we've heard, we've seen how Jesus brings healing, he brings life, and he brings the assurance that he is who he said he was. We have seen not only how Jesus speaks, but how he also listens to our pain and suffering and then responds. So our story today continues that pattern, and we are hoping to hear God speak to us today. And I want us to do something this morning. You've done it in here before, but we need to reaffirm regularly that we know that God speaks to us and that we respond with gratitude because we have a God who is not silent. We have a God who tells us the truth So at the end of the reading, I will acknowledge that this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond with, thanks be to God. So let's practice that. The word of the Lord. Ah, you are a vigorous and obedient people. (laughs) So let us turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 7, and hear the word of the Lord, uh, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. This is quite a scene. Dinner parties were very different in Jesus' day than they are in our time. Dinner was often served in an open courtyard that was accessible to anyone who walked by. 
And I guess part of it was that it was cooler that way in days without air conditioning. But I don't think that we can discount the I want people to know who I'm with factor. Jesus has gone to a Pharisee's home for dinner. Now, we need to know that Jesus actually spent more time with the Pharisees than any other group of people. He, he actually loved the Pharisees because they shared similar concerns, concerns about holiness, concerns about the law, concerns about what it meant to be the people of God. The Pharisees were intensely aware that the disobedience of the people of God had led to their subjugation, their conquering, and to their being taken into exile and spread throughout the known world. And when they returned, a bunch of them returned to the homeland, they were bound and determined that that wasn't going to happen again, that they were going to live holy lives that would please God and would keep God's judgment at bay. And so as you know, they were rigorous students of Scripture and stern keepers of the law. The law as they understood it. And that was the problem. They didn't really understand the law and its purposes. And this dinner party is going to be a collision between the law misunderstood and of grace truly and freely given. So let's walk through this little story. Simon invites Jesus to dinner in his home. He's been paying attention to Jesus, and he wants to see if Jesus is really a prophet. Now, I think he imagines something that would actually be quite fun for me, a great biblical and theological discussion at the dinner table. But then she walks in. And this is no quiet entrance. I tell you, if someone was looking for fodder for village gossip the next day, they would get an earful. This is a loud, flamboyant entrance. And this woman breaks every religious and social convention of the day. She approaches Jesus in tears, and she washes Jesus' feet with those tears. You've got to cry a lot to wash anything with your tears. Uh, she dries his feet with her hair. It was a scandal for a woman to let her hair down in public, and she not only lets it down, she dries Jesus' feet with her hair, and then she anoints his feet with expensive perfume. This is not how Presbyterians behave. <laughs> or righteous Israelites. She's a woman, an uninvited woman a sinful woman, and she breaks cultural taboos, especially by touching Jesus. And Jesus is no less scandalous, friends. He lets her. Simon, bless his heart, and I use that in both senses of that southern term, Simon is mortified. To his credit, he keeps his mouth shut. But what is going on in his heart and mind is self-righteous and judgmental. Jesus has failed the prophet test. Remember what he thought? If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Now, we could go off and down a lengthy rabbit trail counting the ways in which Simon's assumptions about what it means to have God's favor are wrong. 
Suffice it to say, there's only one person in the room who is sinless, and it's not Simon. But notice, notice how the the conversation and the action pivot from the woman to the quiet Simon. Simon has kept his mouth shut, but his heart is going a mile a minute. He has judged the woman unworthy, and he's judged Jesus as not a prophet. But the very moment Simon's heart tells him that Jesus is not a prophet, Jesus speaks prophetically to him by telling him exactly what his silent thoughts are. You know, what's in your heart is going to come out someday, somehow. Back in the olden days when my sister and I were in high school, Uh, My sister was two years behind me, and she took the same trigonometry class I had had. Teacher was the most incredibly boring teacher that has ever been in the history of teachers. I had had him two years earlier, and I just brought novels to class and read them. But my sister could not dissociate that way. Complicating matters was the fact that this teacher was the neighborhood atheist, and he lived right next door to us, the home of the neighborhood pastor. My parents had always tried to be a winsome witness to George, but it was all for naught, I think, because one day, George was teaching in his regular style with his book right in front of his face. George always had the book right here, When I saw him gardening, I was surprised he didn't have the book of gardening principles like this, going like this. But anyway, he's up there saying things like, sine of A plus B equals sine A cosine B plus cosine A sine B, and then he would turn around and write it on the board. That went on every day for his entire teaching career. Finally, Dale could take it no longer. And in her silent and secret heart, she started chanting over and over again, shut up, George, shut up, George, shut up, George. But then, to her amazement, she heard a booming voice filling the room, saying exactly what she had been thinking. And she thought, wow, one of my classmates is really brave to say that, only to realize that every eye in the room, including George's, were on her. (laughs) What had been in her heart escaped and was known by all. Everyone heard her heart. Well, Jesus hears Simon's heart, his dismissive judgments, his wrong assumptions, and the self-righteousness. And Jesus speaks to Simon. It's at this point in the story, actually, where we first learn this Pharisee's name, Simon. This conversation now becomes personal and intimate, for Jesus calls him, as he does each of us, by name. Here's an interesting little tidbit for you. Simon, or Shimon, actually means to hear or to listen. And some scholars think that Simon or Shimon means God hears. The root of his name is also the same root of that essential Jewish prayer, the Shema, Shema Shimon. And it means, hear, O Israel. It is a call 
to listen to God as you hear God speak the truth about himself. And so Jesus says, Simon, Shimon, listener, I have something to tell you. And Simon, to his credit, replies, tell me, teacher. Simon is willing to listen to the voice of Jesus, even though at this point he only sees him as, as a prophet, not as savior or God incarnate. And Jesus gently tells him a parable about two men who owe debts, one large and one small, and both debts are forgiven. And Jesus asks Simon, who do you think would be more thankful? You know, whenever I read this passage and I hear Jesus ask that question and read Simon's response, I actually think of our children's sermons. You know, when we ask our kids questions, and I think some of them wonder, What's, what are they really asking here? You know the old famous joke about how uh, someone doing the children's sermon describes something that is bushy, has, uh, furry, has a bushy tail and collects nuts and says, what, what is this? And the kids are thinking, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus. <laughs> when we pastors tell that joke to each other, we just say, squirrel. Uh, <laughs> And, and, we, and I think Simon thinks, I wonder if this is a trick question. And so he says, he doesn't say the most thankful one is the one who was forgiven the larger debt. He just says, I suppose the one with the larger debt. He kind of hedges his answer. Jesus is not finished with him, and Simon is still listening but Jesus moves from the simple parable to an actual listing of Simon's offenses. Simon has been a poor host. He has violated every protocol of hospitality in the ancient world, and that is a major failing. The sinful woman, however, is the one who has attended to Jesus. Simon brought Jesus into his home in order to test him. The woman came to Jesus in order to thank him. And Jesus heard them both and spoke to each of them. I think many of us are probably familiar with Pascal's famous line, the heart has his reasons that reason cannot know. I've really kind of struggled with what Pascal meant by that, but I think that he recognized that the heart often operates independently of our minds and thus cannot always know what or why our hearts are speaking to us in the way that they do. That's why we need Jesus to listen to our hearts. There's a terrific passage in Jeremiah 17 that tells us the truth about our hearts and why it's a risky idea to follow our hearts. Hear what Jeremiah writes. The heart is hopeful, hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. That is why the psalmist wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts and create in me a clean heart. Since those are things we cannot do for ourselves, 
what are we supposed to do? You know, sometimes God doesn't just speak to us uh, through his word. He actually speaks to us through the difficult circumstances of our lives. And I love in this story that Jesus uses Simon's disdain for this woman to speak to Simon's heart. And I think sometimes God will use the very thing or person that we judge to be a light to shine in the dark places of our hearts. For you see... When Jesus enters our homes, the sinful woman comes with him. But the primary way God speaks to us is through his word and in worship. This is one of the reasons why Tim has said over and over again, and I believe we'll say over and over again in the coming weeks, months, and years, is that the most important thing you can do each week is be in worship. It is in worship that the word of God comes to you through the reading of the word, through the preaching of the word, through the words in the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray. It comes to us most powerfully in in the prayer of confession. And we may not like the prayer of confession, but we have to listen to it with the same kind of willingness that Simon listened to that word of God from Christ. You may have heard me tell this story before, but it bears repeating. In another church in which which I served, the prayer of confession was central to the opening part of the liturgy. This church is a very high liturgical, uh, traditional uh, worship service. We had a bulletin that was really rather large, and it was eight pages. So it was on thick paper. And so one day after the service, this irate woman came charging out of the sanctuary into the narthex, and she had that bulletin rolled up tight, and she went right up to our senior pastor, and she started beating on him with it. I mean, she was beating his neck, his shoulders, and she said, take that prayer confession out of this worship service. I am not a sinner. I am not a sinner. I am not a sinner. I think that was her prayer of confession. (laughs) You may have, you know, we laugh at that, but it is in confession where the Lord speaks to us intimately and truthfully. And that's where he's going to tell us hard truths. And like Simon, we need to be prepared to say, tell me, Lord, Even if the words are painfully hard, we must believe this for our own good because when Jesus tells us the truth about ourselves, it is only for the purpose of drawing closer to him, removing every impediment, everything that blocks our closeness, our vision of him. So I ask you this morning, What does your heart love? Our minds may tell us that we love God before anything else. I love that. That's one of the little uh, BAE. You see that on Twitter all the time, before anything else. And it talks about the priorities in our lives. Our minds may tell us that before anything else, we love God. But we often delude ourselves Our minds may be totally unaware of what's going on in our hearts, and we need to understand that we don't think our way into other loves. We don't think 
our way into a passion for material stuff and the acquisition of things. We don't think ourselves into idolatry of a sports team, go Cubs. Um, <laughs> we don't think ourselves into uh, an idolatry even of travel or for wonderful leisure time, no. Our little old hearts lead us to these places without our ever even knowing that we have wandered away from our creator and redeemer. So, if you are what you love, how do you know what you love? Only by listening to Jesus, who knows your heart better than anyone, better than you yourself know your heart. Brothers and sisters, God has spoken to us this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel that we have heard this morning. We have heard that word, and in hearing it, we realize that our hearts need to hear some hard truths as well. So let us now and always hear the words of Jesus who always has something to tell us. So now as the band comes forward, I want us to hear the words that we need to hear as we pray our prayer of confession. We want this confession to shine a spotlight into our hearts, causing us to understand what his pulling us away from our relationship with the God who loves us and gave himself for us. So let us pray this corporate prayer of confession together and then in silence ask the Lord to tell you what hard word you need to hear today. So join me now in our prayer of confession. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. We ask that you would tell us what is in our hearts so that we may acknowledge the real truth about ourselves, confessing to you that we have indeed wandered from you and what you desire for us. Take away our hearts of stone and create in us clean hearts hearts that are willing to hear you speak to us as you shape us more and more into the likeness of your Son, even Jesus our Savior. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the promise of the Lord is sure, it is certain, it is trustworthy, and it is this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that our hearts would be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. Friends, this morning, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Alleluia. Amen.